Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to the latest episode in our season on Haunted Hollywood, which is, as always, hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. We know what you're thinking, and you're right. We've been lost on the back streets and dirty alleys of Hollywood for a long time now, but I have to tell you, we are starting to near the end. Before we get there, though, we have some more places to visit. We've got more stories to hear, hearts to break, murders to solve, or more likely not solve, dreams to break, and lives to ruin before it's all over. If you've missed any of the show this season, or if this is your first time listening, we hope that you'll go back to episode 70 of the podcast, which will get you caught up on all the murder and mayhem that's already happened. Just keep in mind the episodes in this season are definitely not suitable for all listeners. So if you continue on from here, you can't say we didn't warn you because, well, this one is a doozy. Turn down the lights, turn up the radio, and find out what it meant to get canceled in 1920s Hollywood after one of the greatest scandals in Tinseltown's sordid history. It happened in September 1921 when the death of a young movie actress named Virginia Rapay made newspaper headlines around the world. It's hard to say exactly how it happened. The scandal followed the pretty actress's death had nothing to do with her fame, or really lack of it. It was because of the man who was alleged to have killed her, America's funny man, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Fatty was the first Hollywood star to get canceled, as it's called today, and his career destruction followed a crime that he not only didn't commit, but was found innocent of at trial. But by then, it was too late, and really, no one believed him anyway. Fatty Arbuckle was among the first celebrities to be swallowed by the bright lights of Hollywood. There are few actors who have crashed and burned in the way that Arbuckle did. The rotund comedian nicknamed Fatty by his fans because of his 300 plus pound girth achieved his original success in the 19-teens. He was more popular than even Charlie Chaplin and at a time of his downfall in 1921, he was earning over $1 million a year and that's in 1922 dollars. But the scandal brought his career to a crashing halt. Fatty had it worse than most. It was bad enough to fall from grace because of one's mistakes, but it was another thing entirely to be used by an ambitious district attorney for his own political gains and to be savaged by the Hearst newspapers, which sensationalized Fatty's plight and made a bundle in circulation sales. Making things even worse, Arbuckle's own studio led the behind-the-scenes intrigue that sabotaged his career. Some say his revenge against a star who'd just become too big to control. Well, the death of that young actress killed Fatty's career, but worse, definitely for Virginia at least, it managed to also give birth to one of Hollywood's first ghost stories, too. Weighing a whopping 16 pounds, Roscoe Arbuckle was born on a small farm in Smith Center, Kansas on March 24, 1887. The following year, his family relocated to Santa Ana, California and opened a small hotel. In the summer of 1895, Roscoe made his stage debut with a traveling theater troupe. The shy and overweight youngster immediately felt at home in the spotlight. Four years later, his mother died and the boy was sent to live with his father, who was then residing in Watsonville, California. When his father vanished a short time later, a local hotel owner took Roscoe in. 
When not working at odd jobs, he was tutored by a teacher who also lived in the hotel. However, he preferred appearing at amateur night at the town's vaudeville theater to reading and writing. And in 1902, he was reunited with his remarried father in Santa Clara and helped out his new family by waiting tables in his father's restaurant. Roscoe got into show business a few years later, working in vaudeville and burlesque shows in California and the Pacific Northwest. During a 1908 summer stock engagement in Long Beach, California, he met a singer and a dancer named Armanta Minta Durfee. The two of them were married and toured the Southern California vaudeville circuit together. At some point, Fatty decided to try his luck in the fledgling movie industry. Legend had it that Arbuckle was an overweight plumber when Max Sennett discovered him. The story goes he had come to unclog the film producer's drain, but Sennett had other plans for him. He took one look at Roscoe's hefty frame and offered him a job. Well, <laughs> it didn't happen this way, but it does make a great story. Arbuckle's large frame and bouncing agility made him the perfect target for Sennett's brand of film comedy, which included mayhem, pratfalls, and pies in the face. He became a member of Senate's Keystone Film Company in April 1913, was soon making dozens of two-reelers as a film buffoon and audiences loved him. He made one film after another, all of them wildly successful, and managed to earn a fortune. In the summer of 1916, Arbuckle joined the East Coast-based Comique Film Corporation as a star and director with an annual income of more than a million dollars. The following March, he attended a banquet in Boston hosted by his studio for regional theater exhibitors, and this became Fatty's first brush with scandal. After the dinner, Arbuckle retired to his hotel room. However, company executives, including founder Adolf Zucker and others, continued partying at Brownie Kennedy's Roadhouse, a tavern and brothel in nearby Woburn, Massachusetts. Almost immediately, news circulated in Boston about an orgy that took place that night, and the gossip claimed that Arbuckle had been present. In fact, some stories had him dancing on tables with prostitutes in the roadhouse's back room. They would have had to have been very sturdy tables. Anyway, thanks to the bad publicity, the city's mayor raided the brothel. After paying a fine, the madam was released. However, the stories about what went on that night were too racy to simply fade away. Zucker was informed that unless money changed hands, the body activities were sure to make national news. Zucker paid $100,000 to keep the matter quiet and in the process did nothing to stifle the rumor that Fatty Arbuckle had been present that night. By October 1917, Arbuckle, along with the rest of the movie industry, was back out in Hollywood. By now, his marriage to Minta had fallen apart, and she remained in New York to pursue her acting career. Although separated, their divorce was not finalized until 1925. With 1920's The Roundup, Arbuckle began making full-length movies. In January 1921, he signed a lucrative new contract with Paramount Pictures, which led to Adolf Zucker pushing him into an exhausting schedule that ended with him filming three movies at the same time in the summer of 1921. By Labor Day weekend, Fatty was worn out and planned to go to San Francisco to relax over the holiday. Zucker asked him to remain in town to take part in an exhibitor's convention that weekend, and when Roscoe refused, Zucker was angry. Arbuckle didn't let this bother him, though, and went on his trip anyway. Fatty was joined on his trip up the coast by actor friend Lowell Sherman. Then director Fred Fishback, whom Arbuckle had known for years, invited himself along. 
The three men left LA on early Saturday morning, September 3rd, and arrived in San Francisco later that evening. Fatty was driving his flashy new Pierce Arrow automobile and took his friends to the luxurious St. Francis Hotel. Fatty took three adjoining suites on the 12th floor. On Sunday, the trio did some sightseeing and visited friends. On Monday, which was Labor Day, the party really got underway. Fishback got in touch with a bootlegger connection, and soon the guests and the booze began to arrive. Among the guests was Fred's friend, film talent manager Al Simmacher, who was in San Francisco for the weekend trying to concoct evidence for his pending divorce. He'd brought along Bambina Maud Delmont, a woman with an extensive police record involving blackmail, prostitution, and swindling. She came along to help him out. A friend of hers also came along, a little-known actress named Virginia Rapay. Virginia had arrived in Hollywood in 1919. She was a lovely brunette whose unfortunate reputation had preceded her, or so the stories claimed. I'll tell you the rumors that circulated about Virginia, but I want to say that I believe most of them were made up after her death by someone who was doing damage control for Fatty, more accurately, probably Paramount Studios, or by the newspapers. That's up to you to decide. The stories claim that it was no secret in Hollywood that she was a girl with loose morals, which is saying a lot for the film colony in those days. Rumor had it that she'd already had several abortions by the time she was 16 before giving birth to a child she'd given up for adoption. She caught the eye of Max Sennett and wrangled some movie roles on the Keystone lot where she met Arbuckle. It was also rumored that Virginia had worked her way through the cast and crew of the company, and at one point she passed around a rather sensitive infestation of body lice that was so severe that Senate had to close the studio and have it fumigated. There were stories of nudity, wild parties, and drunken escapades, but I'd take them all with a very large grain of salt if I were you. Fatty Arbuckle was not the only one whose reputation was destroyed by the scandal that followed Virginia's death. What we do know for sure about Virginia's fledgling career seems to prove that the many rumors about her were probably untrue. She earned a small number of film roles after arriving in Hollywood, including parts in Fantasy, Paradise Garden, and Joey Loses a Sweetheart. She appeared with Fatty Arbuckle in the last one, shortly after winning an award for the Best Dressed Girl in Pictures. She was given a contract after that, and there was talk of her starring in a new Fox feature. Virginia certainly seemed to be on her way up. Well, over Labor Day weekend, Virginia went along with her manager, Al Simacher, and Maude Delmont to San Francisco. She had no idea that they were planning to attend a party or that her one-time co-star, Fatty Arbuckle, was the host. By noon on Monday, when the trio arrived, the party was already in full swing. Arbuckle was reportedly not happy to discover that Fred Fishback had invited Simacher, Delmont, and Rapay to the party, but he was enjoying himself too much to press the issue. At one point during the party, Fishback suddenly left, claiming that he had business elsewhere. The crowd grew to a couple of dozen people. The young women were downing gin-laced orange blossoms. Some of the guests had taken off their tops to do the shimmy. Guests were vanishing into the back bedrooms for sweaty love sessions, and the empty bottles of booze were piling up. Meanwhile, Maude Delmont, who was well-liquored, disappeared into Lowell Sherman's adjoining suite with him and locked the door. It was soon after that that Virginia, who witnesses stated was roaring drunk, began screaming hysterically and tearing off her clothes. Because Maude and Lowell Sherman were locked in room 1221 and room 1220 had no bathroom, Virginia was rushed into room 1219, Fatty's suite, 
to use the facilities there. Soon, unaware of what was happening, Roscoe tried to enter his bathroom, only to find Virginia vomiting into the toilet. He helped her up and convinced her to lie down and rest on his bed. Next, he went in search of some ice. He hoped that the ice would quiet the woman down as well as determined by holding a piece of ice against her thigh to see if she'd reacted to the chill, whether she was suffering from hysterics. Apparently, this was some sort of tried and true method at the time. By now, Fishbach had returned. As Roscoe applied the ice to the wailing woman's leg, Maud Delmont walked into the room. Repay yelled that she was dying, words heard by several other female party guests. Virginia was overheated and frantic. The bathtub in room 1219 was filled with cold water to cool off the distraught young woman, but Virginia suddenly awoke and began screaming at Fatty. Stay away from me, she cried, and then turned to Delmont. What did he do to me, Maudie? Virginia was placed bodily in the cold water and she seemed to settle down. A short time later, she was taken to another room down the hall where Maud could take care of her. The hotel doctor was summoned to the room a little while later, but he determined that Virginia was merely drunk. The party continued with Arbuckle leaving the hotel for a time to arrange to have his car shipped back to Los Angeles. He planned to return by boat. By the time Fatty returned, another doctor was administering morphine to Virginia. When the physician asked Maud what had transpired, she thought fast and cooked up a story that she later told the police, but a story, keep in mind, she never swore to in court. According to this wild version of events, Fatty, wearing only pajamas and a bathrobe, had steered a drunken Virginia into his suite at around 3 p.m. on Monday afternoon. Delmont said that the festivities in the adjoining suites came to a halt when screams were heard in the bedroom. She also said that weird moans were heard from behind the door. A short time later, Fatty emerged with ripped pajamas and he told the girls, go in and get her dressed. She makes too much noise. When Virginia continued to scream, he yelled for her to shut up or I'll throw you out the window. Maud and another showgirl, Alice Blake, found Virginia nearly nude and lying on the unmade bed. She was moaning and told them that she was dying. Maud later reported that they tried to dress her, but found that all her clothing, including her stockings and undergarments, were so ripped and torn that, quote, one could hardly recognize what garments they were. Well, Fatty knew nothing of this story that Maud was telling the cops. And on Tuesday, September 6th, he checked out of the St. Francis, generously covering everyone's expenses. By now, Virginia, at Maud's direction, was being treated by another doctor, this one associated with the private Wakefield Sanitarium. Having been assured that Virginia was in no danger, Arbuckle and his friends returned by ferry to Los Angeles. On September 8th, the still-stricken Virginia was transferred from the hotel to the sanitarium, where she died the next afternoon. An illegal post-mortem exam was conducted on her body, and her bladder and other organs were placed in specimen jars, which would prevent a proper autopsy by the legal authorities. Convinced that she could turn the entire incident into something she could profit from, Maud then swore out a complaint against Fatty with the police. Back in Hollywood, Roscoe's new film, Gasoline Gus, had just opened successfully, and at the same time, he learned of Virginia's death. Shocked, he volunteered to return to San Francisco. Paramount, meanwhile, panicked at the possible repercussions of the weekend and hired attorneys to represent their high-priced star. 
From the start, the newspapers were filled with lurid headlines like Fatty Arbuckle sought in orgy death and graphic false details supplied by Maud Delmont. Newspapers around the country were revealing shocking truths about the alleged events and the death of the virtuous Virginia Rapay at the hands of the lust-crazed Fatty Arbuckle. Everything from Arbuckle's past was raked up, including the false story that he'd been part of the 1917 orgy in Massachusetts, and news stories claimed that he had killed Virginia because she'd rebuffed his advances. They also claimed that he killed her because his immense weight pressed down on her too hard during sex. And it was no longer just sex. The newspapers told a nation of stunned fans it was, quote, strange and unnatural sex. According to reports, Arbuckle became enraged over the fact that his drunkenness had led to impotence, so he ravaged Virginia with everything from a Coca-Cola bottle to a champagne bottle to an oversized piece of ice. Other stories claim that Fatty was so well endowed that he had injured the girl, while others stated that the injury had come when Fatty had landed on the small actress during a sexual frolic. Well, soon churches and women groups were crusading against the lustful Fatty Arbuckle. In Hartford, Connecticut, a group of angry women ripped down a screen in a theater showing an Arbuckle comedy, while in Wyoming, a group of men opened fire in a movie house where another Arbuckle film was being shown. Thanks to the newspapers, Fatty had been found guilty in the public's eyes before charges had ever been filed against him. Angry and increasingly boisterous voices were calling for Hollywood to clean up its act. Finally, Arbuckle's films were pulled from general release. Fatty was placed on suspension by Paramount, invoking the morals clause in his contract. San Francisco District Attorney Matthew Brady hoped the Arbuckle case would be his ticket to the governor's office. The coroner's inquest met on September 12th, with Brady demanding that Arbuckle be charged with murder. By then, he knew that most of what had been printed in the newspapers were lies, but since his vow to prosecute the movie star to the fullest extent of the law had already been featured in the press, well, he went on with the case. Over the next few days, with Fatty jailed without bail, a special grand jury voted to indict the actor on a manslaughter charge. It was their belief, based on the evidence, that Arbuckle had used, quote, some force that led to Virginia's death. On September 28th, a judge ruled that the defendant could be charged with manslaughter, but the rape charge was dismissed. Arbuckle was released on his own recognizance and returned to Los Angeles. He was accompanied by his estranged wife, Minta, who had arrived to offer moral support. The trial began on November 14, 1921, with Roscoe taking the stand and denying any wrongdoing. The defense introduced evidence of Virginia's past medical problems, including chronic cysts, and her recurrent bouts of abdominal pain that often led to her yanking off her clothing in the past. The key witness, Maud Delmont, never took the stand to continue her fanciful claims against Arbuckle, something that the defense pointed out several times to the jury. After a lot of conflicting testimony, the jury remained deadlocked after 43 hours of deliberation. Only one juror was adamant that Fatty was guilty, quote, until hell freezes over. The judge declared a mistrial. Unwilling to give up, D.A. Brady pushed for another trial. One of the tactical errors this time around was made by the defense. Overly confident that Arbuckle would be acquitted, they didn't have him testify again and simply read his prior testimony into the record. This made Fatty look cold and uncaring about the young woman's death and made the wrong impression on the jury. In addition, his attorney, assured of victory, never bothered to make a closing statement. 
After many more hours of deliberating, the jury was deadlocked again, although this time they had almost voted in favor of conviction. Well, Fatty hadn't been convicted, but he was paying for his so-called crime. He'd been forced to sell his home in Los Angeles along with his luxury automobiles to pay lawyer's fees the studio was no longer footing the bill for. Unbelievably, Brady took Arbuckle to trial a third time. This time, Fatty took the stand and patiently answered questions about the fateful party for three hours. The defense introduced evidence about Virginia's past, the prosecution's intimidation of witnesses, as well as the fact that the prosecution still had never produced Maude Delmon to testify. This time, the jury adjourned for only five minutes and returned with a vote of acquittal and a written apology that read, Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel a grave injustice has been done him, and there was not the slightest proof to connect him in any way with the commission of any crime. We wish him success and hope that the American people will take the judgment of 14 men and women that Roscoe Arbuckle is entirely innocent and free of all blame. Fatty may have been free and cleared by a well-meaning jury, but he was hardly forgiven by Hollywood. Paramount canceled his now $3 million a year contract and his unreleased films were scrapped, costing the studio over a million dollars. Fatty's career was finished after he was banned from the movies by Will Hayes and his Hollywood production code. Hayes wanted to show that he meant business when it came to cleaning up the movies and decided to make Fatty an example. Strangely, Hayes acted at the urging of Adolf Zucker and Paramount Pictures. Years later, it was discovered that Zucker had made a mysterious payment to D.A. Matthew Brady on November 14, 1921. It was assumed it was a possible bribe to control the case's outcome, but it turned out it was not in Arbuckle's favor. It seemed that Zucker wanted to ruin Fatty at the cost of his own studio. Some have even taken it a step further, theorizing that Zucker, eager to regain control over Arbuckle, had masterminded the St. Francis Hotel party through Fred Fishback, who mysteriously vanished after Labor Day. But that the situation, which was simply supposed to make Arbuckle look bad, got wildly out of control. By Christmas, Hayes had rescinded his ban on Arbuckle in Hollywood productions, but civic groups and the press remained opposed to his return to film. Because of this, the studios just couldn't afford to have his name connected to their pictures. Only a few friends, like Buster Keaton, remained by his side. In fact, it was Keaton who suggested that Arbuckle change his name to Will Be Good and get into the movies again. As it turned out, Fatty did adopt the name William Goodrich in later years, and he was able to gain employment as a gag man and as a comedy director. Friends helped him as best they could, but the next few years were difficult ones. He tried stage and vaudeville work and opened a club and a hotel, which closed during the Depression. He married and divorced a second time and then found happiness with his third wife, actress Addie McPhail. In 1931, Roscoe appeared in a fan magazine article begging to be allowed to return to the screen. Hal Roach offered him a contract, but pressure from several women's groups caused the deal to fall through. After again turning to vaudeville, Arbuckle was given a contract by New York's Vitaphone Studios head Sam Sachs to star in a 1932 film short. The comeback Vodafone two-reeler was so successful that Sachs gave Fatty a contract to make five more in preparation for a feature film with Warner Brothers. Unfortunately, Fatty Arbuckle died of a heart attack on the night following the completion of his last Vodafone short on June 29, 1934. To make matters worse, he was supposed to sign that contract with Warner Brothers for a new film the next day. 
Fatty Arbuckle has not found peace in death. The slanderous stories about him still exist today, and despite evidence presented to the contrary, he continues to be perceived as the lustful rapist portrayed in the newspapers of the day. And that's not the only way that Fatty has failed to find peace. If ghosts truly haunt places where they had unfinished business, then the old Vitaphone studio building in Brooklyn, New York would certainly qualify. It was there that Roscoe made his final film, and with things finally going his way again, he was apparently reluctant to leave this world. His ghost has been reported there many times, including by a longtime engineer for the soap opera As the World Turns, which shot in this building back in 1999. But Fatty's ghost is not the only one that lingers. At the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, a lonely stone marks the grave of Virginia Rapay. Buried in the first row next to the pool, its simple flat stone is best found today by looking for a thin Italian cypress tree that rises near the marker. Virginia's ghost has been seen here too. Little explanation needs to be offered as to why Virginia's spirit might be a restless one. She lost not only her life over the course of the Labor Day weekend of 1921, but she lost a promising career that weekend and her reputation was destroyed just like Fatty's was. The press was nearly as savage to the sickly young actress as it was to Fatty Arbuckle. While most newspapers painted Virginia as an innocent victim of Arbuckle's lust-craved advances, the newspapers owned by William Randolph Hearst were especially cruel to the actress. While Hearst's papers were always known for their yellow journalism and lurid headlines, the Arbuckle case received even more coverage than normal. As it happened, Hearst's affair with a starlet named Marion Davies became big news at the same time that details began to emerge about Fatty Arbuckle and Virginia Rapay. Marion Davies' career began to suffer, and rumor had it that Hearst gave the go-ahead to his papers to exploit every Hollywood scandal of the time, including Fatty's, to take the focus off of himself and Davies. This made the unlucky Virginia Rapay an easy target. So it's not surprising to hear reports that her spirit still lingers behind. Visitors who come to Hollywood Forever Cemetery have reported hearing a ghostly voice that weeps and cries out near Virginia's simple grave. It's believed by many to be her lost soul still attached to this world and still in anguish over her promising career, which like her life was cut short before it could really begin. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Remember when we'd be down further down? Fuck. Yes. With the old recorders. Oh, God, do you, yes. Do you remember the time we were doing the movie thing and we had to move to record yeah. in the, in <laughs> yeah, the, in the entranceway? Yeah, I do. Foyer. <laughs> uh, and then people went by in the hallway God, yelling. Just yeah. can't win. I know. We need, it's, if, we had, if only we had a vault. Yeah, right. <laughs> we could lock right. ourselves in. <laughs> All right. 
Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey. If that is your real name. Well, it might not be. It's actually Troy Hamilton Dean. That's a callback to the last episode. So. Um, for those of us playing along at home. Yeah, for those of you who remember last time. I know it was two weeks ago, but try hard. For us, it was 20 minutes well, ago. It was, yeah, because we're, we are, we are, when you hear this, we'll have just passed Labor Day. We are recording it, however, right after the last one. Yes. So anyway, but being right after Labor Day, as you hear this, <laughs> uh-huh. that means it is officially fall. Oh, are you We're all unofficially fall, I guess, really. I mean, a couple more weeks oh, before it's boy. really fall. But you solstice people. I know, I know, I know. But, you know, so that means that we get to start seeing a lot of our podcast listeners at various events. Mm-hmm. Tours, dinners, all kinds of stuff. This so. Is, so does it get busier during the fall or do you just have more things no, we just, going on? No, we have on. a lot more things because, I mean, our our listeners know that this is all year round, yeah, yeah. you know, but the general public comes out of the woodwork. That's why I always try to get our podcast listeners to come to our fall events uh-huh. to kind of, you know, Weed out. keep the, <laughs> oh, keep the riffraff away, <laughs> the you know, riff-raff. and just have our listeners at stuff rather than, you know, uh, I did a, a scheduled a river road tour the weekend of my birthday and I like begged people I, you know, knew to come on the tour. So, um, so we have a lot of, a lot of friends coming on that river road tour that weekend. But anyway, um, we do have a lot of stuff going on and yeah, I mean, you can go to dinnerandspirits.com and see the tours and the dinners and things. You can go to americanhauntings.net and see everything else we have going on. So the big news for me right now is that we have uh, recently secured a whole new section at the Mineral Springs. So I know that a lot of you who have been to some of our stuff know that we have the vault yes. uh, at the Mineral Springs, which is the old original bank vault uh, that they kept there were valuables in the hotel were secured. Uh, but we now have the entire crystal room. That is just us now. We've moved the bookstore into the crystal room. We'll be using the crystal room for future dinners and events. Mm-hmm. Um, so And it's been completely redone, redecorated, painted the whole bit. Uh, I can't the wait to see it. Bookstore is all uh, going to be in the the back part where that old you know there used to be an old it was like a stage. Like a, I don't know what that there's was. Curtains it, it, there, well, right? no, but it was or, like a. It I, I want to like say it was like a counter or something. I was going to say a bar, but it wasn't a bar. It was like a counter. That was, anyway, all that's gone. I want to perform back there. That's I know, all right? I, can I know, see. right? So. Anyway, so that's going to be opening up. Well, by the time you hear this, it will be open. Nice. And um, the vault will still be ours as well. And Cody and I are turning that into our recording studio. So we will have, you know, uh, events or shows coming up that will be completely silent because there is no sound inside that vault except for us. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to do two episodes and lose our minds. I know, right? So check it out when, uh, if you're at the Mineral Springs for any of our events or anything that are coming up. Um, you'll get to, to experience the new space uh, starting in September and even more in October and after that. So we'll always be, uh, from that point on, for any of our dinners and things, we'll always be at the Mineral Springs um, after the middle part of October. So Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let me move on to some listener reviews sure. here. Sure, sure. We have one that's titled uh, Best New Find, and it's from 
Oh, wait. It says nothing is true, 166. So I don't know if I can believe you. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the review says, really love the way the hosts conduct themselves in the interaction between the two in, dis- in the discussion oh, segment. Oh, they know little. I know. <laughs> they are oh, deluded. Snow. And <laughs> yes. I enjoy this no- story, then discussion format. And uh, it's always funny and fun. It's always fun and funny to listen to your thoughts at the end. The guys have great attitudes and senses of humor. This is oh just, boy, this is just. Is this and now right I don't show? remember any of this. Oh I don't believe in a bit of it. So. The narrative portion of the episode is well written and has a fantastic eerie vibe. The host that narrates this portion appears to be very well spoken and manages that would be me? to enunciate Again, very clearly. Again, I have clearly. fooled everyone. You should hear what it sounds like before Cody. Yes. When Cody gets it. Considering the moderately fast pace in which he speaks, I mention this because often I find <laughs> podcast podcast hosts speaking so slowly and it's refreshing well, to have the filling, information. They're filling time. Right. I have way more material. Then you have I have time. time. So, yes, you get it fast. Remember the guy who said that I uh, that I talk too fast, uh, that I talk so fast that I should listen to Mark Twain. Well, for one thing, Mark Twain's dead. Yes, and has not recorded any podcasts. But then we discovered that he had his thing set on, <laughs> on like one one and a half five, speed. Right? Yes. when everything doesn't sound like this, so you can, there's nothing you can do to it. And it's like, like an okay, auctioneer, dude. I mean, I know I talk fast, but still, come on, you know. Um, it says, I'm not sure how many takes they run through to get to the narrative About portion. About 420. Uh, behind, so. 420. Um, behind the scenes. But they make it sound effortless. I assure you. It's it all Cody. not effortless. It's all Cody. Uh, I've been experimenting with a number of different podcasts relating to true crime and horror lately as I finished my favorite one recently. And it's by far and away the best one I found. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks. I'd be interested to see um, what, what the podcast was that you liked before, too, because maybe our listeners would like that. Or maybe we yeah. could partner with them. Or maybe I can take them down. Yeah. So there's no competition. <laughs> no, we don't want to take them down. <laughs> no, well, we, we've had, we've been able to turn some people on to some pretty cool podcasts, and I've gotten yes. a lot of notes from people who are like, "Thank you for telling me about Old Gods of Appalachia." You yes, know, I, so many people have such said a that. great podcast. Man. Still haven't listened. Oh, you, yeah, you got to listen to I it know. sometime. And The Vanished is a great podcast. I mean, there's some good stuff out there. There is, there is. Um, this last review I'm going to read is just titled "Hooked." It's uh, from Meet Me in STL. Um, I don't know if that is a play on my favorite calzone from Sauce on the Side, the Meet Me in St. Louis. I do like that place. It's so good. Um, But if not, you should try it. It could be the movie. No, it's got to be the calzone. Well, um, anyway, is it spelled M E A T or M E E T? Troy, details See, uh-huh, are not that's important. Exactly. It's the movie, man. Come I'm on. only on the first season, and I'm hooked. Exciting to know oh. I have uh, many seasons to binge. Yeah. Troy and Cody are great storytellers. I look forward to it every day. If you're hooked on the first season, <laughs> yeah. it's only up from it's here. Only, it's only up from that's there. awesome. Yeah, it's it. It's only gonna get better. It's only gonna get better. Slowly at first, but still. Yeah, you know, we had some. Yeah. Hiccups, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay, so this story, it's... Uh, this one- is one I've been waiting to do. Yes. As I have told you before. Okay, how... Am I allowed to call him fatty all the time? Yeah, well, that's his nickname. Bad and, about well, it. yeah, but you don't have to because he didn't get canceled for being fat. Well, sure. That was what oh, sure. everybody loved about him. I mean, listen, he was America's original funny fat man. I mean, he was Chris Farley. He was John Belushi. I mean, this was that—that that was his shtick. Was that he was a funny fat guy yeah. who did Pratt Falls and was really agile, you know, like John Belushi, right? You know, right. Backflips and shit. This is this was Fatty Arbuckle. This was his thing. Um, that's what he became known as. He was not unhappy with being known as fat, 
What he was unhappy being known for is being a rapist killer, which he didn't do. Right. Um, so this is this is that story. Like I said, I've been waiting to do. This was a guy who was beloved by the entire country until bad publicity got a hold of him. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was canceled for something. In this case, he didn't do. It's different when you're, you know drunk and talk about how you hate Jews or, you know, or <laughs> you're, you're talking about? or you're hitting on, you know, young guys. And so then all your movies get canceled because you've like attacked people mm-hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, these are things that you kind of expect people to get, you know, these days you right. see it happening. It, it didn't used to happen. And we talked about that in our last episode is the, the studios would just cover all that stuff up. Sure. Today, the studios don't have the kind of power. Believe me. If they did, <laughs> they, would. they still would yeah. be, but they've lost that kind of power. So you can't you can't cover things up in a day when everyone has a video camera in their pocket. Sure, you can't. It's you on can't Twitter do it too anymore. Fast. Right? Exactly. So you know, this this is a, a a day and age when things have changed. But you know, I mean, technically, as far as being canceled goes, dude, that was fatty for sure. Sure. You know, he he really was this lovable buffoon and that Mm -hmm. was his deal and you know he made more money than charlie chaplin and we still talk about charlie chaplin but we don't talk about fatty arbuckle anymore except to say as you know as an example of what happens when you cross the wrong people so to speak and and he didn't even do it on purpose right i mean it was you know i don't know we'll we'll get to that i I guess i mean i did talk about it all but you did we want to talk about it some more i know so So Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle, uh, like you said, more popular than Charlie Chaplin at the time of his downfall in 1921, earning uh, over a million dollars a year. In 1921 dollars. Yeah. I didn't do the math. It's 37 a, billion. I don't know. No, it's, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot. He's born weighing 16 pounds. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I, I know some 12 pounders, yeah. but 16, 16. I know. You're just, you're kind of destined at that point. Oh, you're just yeah, going to be sure. a bigger person, yeah, right? Yeah, you are. Uh, family relocates to Santa Ana, California. He makes a stage to be- debut with a traveling theater troupe. Mom dies. Dad pieces out. <laughs> local hotel owner yeah. takes him in. How's that? I mean, it's just <sighs> some guy Fuck. that some local guy said, you know, I like this kid. I'm, you know, we're going to take he's, care yeah, of him. Yeah, he's and funny. Keep him Let's keep him around. Yeah. Got a teacher who lives in the hotel who teaches him right. stuff, but all he wants to do is perform. All he wants to know? do is dance, right? Gets into showbiz yep. by doing a vaudeville burlesque shows. It marries a singer-dancer named uh, Armada Minta Durfee. Yep. His large frame and bouncing agility made him the perfect target for uh, Sinet's brand of film comedy. You talked about he made a bunch of films, lots of money. He stole stuff. A, and and listen, this is another one of those. And, you know, in our last episode, I was talking about how, you know, get on and find some Mabel Norman shorts. Yeah, Because yeah. they're out there. Get on and find some Fatty Arbuckle shorts. Well, they I've, are I've funny. Heard, I've heard of him a they're lot, funny. but I've they, never they watched They really anything. are funny. He, um... You know, if you, I mean, a lot of people are like, well, I, I know people that can't even watch a black and white movie, let alone a silent one. Right. Like, you're missing some good stuff. Sure. You know, there's some great horror films that are silent that are worth watching. And there's a lot of comedy. I mean, Charlie Chaplin stuff is genius. Yeah. You know, it's still genius. You can see where people have stolen their material all this time. Seriously, watch a Fatty Arbuckle thing, and you're you're like, oh my god, this is Tommy Boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Chris Farley. I mean, it's it's the same kinds of things um, with that physical comedy. It's just there's no sound. Yeah. So you had to be like Mabel Norman. You had to be bigger than life. And mm-hmm. here's a guy who who was a big guy, right. but because of the stuff he could do with his size and the agility that he had, he's funny. They're yeah. really funny, you know. And so you know this. Uh, 
not not everything changes just because it's you know it's got sound and it's not black and white anymore. Sure. There's still funny stuff out there. All so. right, no, it's, okay, it's good to know you convinced me. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it yeah, out. Yeah, just check it out. Let's talk about the scandal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um. Yeah, yeah. Go, go it's a mess. I mean, it really, it didn't start out to be, he was just going to take some time off, right. you know, cruise up the coast. Don't get me wrong. They were going to have a booze party. I You're mean, right. it was, you know, I mean, this was a guy, off. yeah, this is a guy he had been working his ass off all summer and he wanted a chance to go and relax. And he did the smart thing. He left town because you don't have a big party in LA in the, you know, at the, at a time when there's already things are touchy and the studios are on your back, you, you get out of town and you, you have your own private party mm-hmm. in another town. So that's what he does. He, you know, has a buddy who decides to invite himself along. And as we find out later, the whole thing was probably a setup, right. you know, so to get like- him, to get him in trouble where he would be beholden to the studio because the studio you know, Paramount thought that they had control of everything. And, you know, it's funny that I, we kind of did these two episodes out of order a bit uh, because the Fatty Arbuckle story actually happened before William Desmond Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we did the, the they're kind of in reverse time wise. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is when the Taylor scandal came along, the studio had it under control mm-hmm. they didn't have it under control with fatty yeah. the problem was is that it, it as far as we can tell it looks like that the studio are the ones who set him up in the first place yeah not not with virginia repay but with um this party and they wanted they wanted this to be a big deal and him to get in trouble for this huge booze party at the beginning of prohibition so that they could get rid of it and then he would owe them uh-huh. because he was just too big of a star and he could do anything he wanted to. And if he left Paramount, it was really going to hurt them. So they wanted to make sure that he stayed where he belonged. Yeah. And it got out of hand because no one ever planned on, you know, uh, Maude Delmont and Virginia Rapace showing up at the store at this party mm-hmm. and for Virginia to just completely flip out the way that she did. Well, what did they think they set all this Well, they didn't, scenario? I don't think they set that part up. Right. But the problem, but they're but, just like, yeah, but, we hope nothing. We hope, yeah, goes wrong enough well i mean it, wrong one of the well and you know there was all they needed was a story because look at what had already happened with the you know the party in massachusetts you know with the you know with the big you know orgy drug party he right. wasn't even there yeah that's... but yet it had been he, it, it looked like he might have been there people said he was in the city at the time even though he wasn't at the party yeah it was all that was bad enough so this was enough just let's have a big party and we can attach some kind of scandal to it and then we'll hush it up and then fatty Lois won right i mean i think that's what this was all about it just went bad is, is so know? is he the guy that if you watch the new Perry Mason, that first yeah. episode, is that the guy that? That's yeah, that's well, it's the, that's supposed to be fatty, and that you okay. know that's the catching character him. they use. They catch him in the act, Got it. and that was the and the the deal with that is, and and you got to really have some inside knowledge about the story mm-hmm. to realize that's supposed to be Fatty Arbuckle, and Perry is supposed to be getting some scandal on him so that the studio can use it against him. Uh, okay, that's what's going on, got and that's it. sort of a kind of a play on what really happened Got you know it. um so if you, if you but that a, is a funny scene it is. if you want to see yeah. a large man naked running yeah. down the street yeah um, chasing after a car it's, yeah, check it's out a pretty funny scene the new perry mason and hey that is that was a great series man i didn't finish it God, should so i finish good. it yes finish okay it. it's so good I'm, I'm really hoping there's going to be another season it was so good all right yeah fair watch enough. It. worth watching um you know what else <sighs> 
No, never mind. I won't bring it up. The Suicide Squad was so good. Oh man, it was. I know. We don't. don't I know. Don't I know. I'm it. sorry. I'm sorry. We'll get on a sidetrack, but it was really fun. Maybe we can talk about it later. Um, yeah. So he and the missus slowly split up with uh, him in California, her in New York City. Right. Uh, like we talked about, he's working his ass off for Paramount. Three movies at once in the summer of 1921. That's got to be exhausting. Yeah. They yeah. go to this party. All hell breaks loose, basically, and it kind of seems like. It's like this girl's just drunk, but it, she but, was just it, drunk, and but she'd already had some other problems too. She right. had a lot of health problems. Yeah, and, but things the, and... the problem is, is that all of these stories that you've probably heard about Virginia Repay, and and I do talk about the stories, but I make sure that I say that I don't think these stories were true. This is all stuff that came out after, after she died mm-hmm. because anything to smear her to make Fatty look better, and then of course this whole thing was a smear job on him. And it was all a distraction anyway. And we'll, you know, I, I mentioned it already, but yeah. we, we'll have some more words about that, I think. What, <laughs> so, so you, well, you've, you've gone through a lot of like my notes and stuff already, but if there's something in particular you sure, want to bring sure, up, sure. But what is, what is this um, ice in the thigh thing? Yeah, I, I'd never heard that before, um, but apparently that's what was going on. And uh, he, he got some ice and it was supposed to see if she reacted I don't hysterics are one of those things that it's kind of an outdated term, a psychiatric, a psychiatric term that's super outdated. Uh, I'd never heard that before, but apparently that was some sort of tried and true method at the time, you know, and if the, you know, she didn't react to the chill, you needed to call a doctor kind of thing. If she flinched and it was cold, then she was probably going to be okay. I know it's the dumbest thing I'd ever heard, but apparently it was a thing, but I can tell you that he wasn't using it for anything that he got accused of using it for. It was an ice cube, uh, not an icicle, you know, I mean, to put it in a kind Uh of gross way, but still, you know. Yes. Um, So he, he thinks... Okay, whatever. She's drunk. People have it under control. I got. I got. Shit she to she do. had a bad reaction to alcohol. I think is yeah. what it was. I mean, she, like you said, she was not. She'd had health problems anyway. Yeah. Um, legitimate ones, or or this never would have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she just, you know, I think her body shut down on her. She was so drunk, and we'll we'll never know. We don't know what those doctors gave her. We don't know what happened. Um, for all we know, she OD'd. I well, mean, guy was shooting her up with morphine to yeah. try to calm her down. We don't know what happened because there was never any real autopsy because when they took her to that that sanatorium, after she died, they just cut her up and yeah. preserved all her organs. And it's like, well, now that no one can do an autopsy on her. So this whole thing was a mess. Mm-hmm. And we know that Maud Delmont made all this stuff up. She wouldn't ever testify to any of it in court. And that just kept getting brought up in all three goddamn all trials. Three trials, yeah. Um, that's how much they were milking Fatty for publicity. You know, this district attorney was trying to get his pound of flesh, too. So, you know, every time the defense would bring it up, well, where's this, you know, this woman who claims all these things happen, where the hell is she? Yeah. And she never shows up in court because she knew if she got up on the stand and said these things and they could prove that it was true. She ended up in jail. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's so when this stuff hit the newspapers, I mean, you could say pretty much anything you wanted to at the time. And they did. You know, he was a public figure and you know how that goes. I mean, you can it's not as like it used to be quite as much because now we have TMZ and stuff, which is 
essentially the same thing. But I can remember, you know, for years and years getting in line at the grocery store and the stuff you would see printed on the cover of the Enquirer and stuff. And you're like, how do they get away with this? They're public figures. So you say anything you wanted to. So they start talking about Fatty, you know, oh, he landed on her and he smashed her. And, you know, he was, you know, a Coca-Cola bottle, a champagne bottle, a big piece of ice. Or he was, you know, so well endowed that he injured her. And that's kind of the Perry Mason thing. If you remember that scene, uh, would you? I do not need to revisit in my head. But (laughs) so none of this stuff has been proven. And yet these groups have gone crazy, which Mm -hmm. is... That is I'm glad just to see like it's changed. Now. Yeah, <laughs> nothing has changed. You know, there's not a single thing proven that, you know, he didn't do any of the things that they said, but all it takes was stories in the newspaper, rumors to get started, and people lose their minds. I just didn't know you could get canceled pre-trial before there was, like, Twitter. Yeah, basically. Well, yeah, I'm, you can, I'm, apparently. I'm As it turns out, you actually can, because this is exactly what happened to him. Uh, because you had all these church groups and women's groups and people boycotting the theaters because they're showing Fatty Arbuckle films. And, and it's like, screen yeah, and I mean, the dude didn't even do anything. And then he goes to trial. They drag him through trials three times. Mm-hmm. And then the jury gets up and says five minutes. They're out for five minutes <laughs> yeah. and they come back and go. Like, what the hell? We what are we doing here? Yeah. This. So they write out a written apology and it doesn't do a thing for him because Paramount has already canceled his contract. All the films that he'd made, those three movies that he filmed that summer, they dumped all of them. A million dollars in is what they spent producing those three films. And it was a complete loss because they couldn't put them out. Yeah. You know, so they completely abandoned him. And then Will Hayes, you know, we talked about the production code early in the season. And well, they um, wanted to make an example out of him. Yeah, that's I mean, we this was early on in the production code. So this is this is if you fool around, if you get in trouble, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to end up like Fatty Arbuckle, whose career was completely ruined about this thing Mm. or over this thing. Yeah. Even when Hayes came back and said, you know, a a month later, he comes back and says, okay, you know what? He did get cleared at trial. There's no evidence. There's no proof he did any of this. Didn't matter because people would not go to see his movies. And, you know, even though some of his friends like Buster Keaton, who, you know, again, you want to see something he had funny. the house fall off. Yeah, him. you want to see something funny, go find some Buster Keaton movies. And, you know, I love the thing he said. He told him he should change his name to Will Be Good. Right. I thought that was great. Right. And, but then he did, he did, sort of, as a joke, you know. And he almost made it back. I mean, he almost came back. But that damn heart. It was just, yeah, well, again, though, that's that's the problem with being the funny fat guy. Yeah. I mean, look what's what happened to all those guys. John Belushi, Chris Chris Farley, Farley. you know, because you may be the funny fat guy and you may be funny as hell. But Fatty's a perfect example of your private life is not what people see on screen. Sure. You know, I mean, he's going through divorce. He's, you know, all this stuff. And then he gets caught in this scandal and. I don't know between I I don't know who to feel the most sorry for because Fatty's career was completely ruined. Virginia's dead. And then her reputation is just ripped to pieces after she dies. People start all kinds of stories about her. I mean, she was an up and coming. so pretty girl. She was really pretty. And she was, you know, she was starting to get roles. And and Mm -hmm. as I mentioned in the in the monologue, she had been voted like best dressed girl in Hollywood. And she finally had like a a, a, not a lead role, but a a more of a major role in a film that she never got to do because she died during this thing because of a mixture of too much alcohol. And 
see, that's the other thing, too, that we, we have to take into consideration because I said, well, who knows what the doctor gave her? Who knows what was in that alcohol? Yeah. You're talking about bootleg gin here. So, you know, and, and they specifically said that they were drinking gin, and a lot of that stuff was really dangerous mm. that was homemade. People went blind. People died. We don't know what she might have drank yeah. or how much she drank, but that's what killed her. I mean, it was something, it wasn't fatty. It was something that happened while she was there, um, you know, her combined with her poor health. But then, you know, how do we, you know, how do we ruin her? And, you know, now we're going to try to make fatty look better. So let's make her into like this horrible slut. There's no, there's none of that was true. Mm. She hadn't had four abortions and before she was 16, none of that stuff was true. But who do we have to blame? Once again... William Randolph Hearst You're right. rears his ugly head. You know, um, Citizen Kane uh-huh. that Orson Welles made is based on William I do. Randolph Hearst. I do. Yeah. And so, so Hearst did this to yeah. kind of draw so, attention so away from So now we've got another, shit. you're trying to steer me away from Orson Welles. I see what you're doing. No, 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 no. But yeah, I mean, this was at the same time that it came out that he was having this affair with Marion Davies, the most untalented actress in Hollywood. I know. Hot I, takes. You, I know. You know I don't. I don't dislike her. I dislike everything about the whole situation. Okay. She's a bad actress. It and seems like he She's kind of cute, but she was a bad actress. And the whole Hearst thing, just, I hate that guy. I just really don't like that guy. And, and every time we have some kind of scandalous thing that has come up in this entire season, if you need a culprit, it's always the bad guy. Yeah. It's always Hearst. <laughs> Somewhere in there is Hearst. You know, he manipulated so many things with those newspapers, yeah. you know, that he had at the time. He was the worst of the worst when it came to American newspapers. And, you know, uh, he did this because using Fatty Arbuckle and Virginia Repay to kind of steer everybody else away from his own scandals yeah. with Marion Davies is exactly what he did. And Fatty was an easy target, and so was Virginia. It's like, so. it's like if he were alive today, what would he do? Go to space or something? Maybe? No, okay. no, I don't think. No, I don't think that's it. I think he. I think he would own uh, newspapers and uh, and and magazines and things all over the world, and would live in Australia, and okay, um, okay. and that would be Hearst today. Except Hearst had even more power than Rupert Murdoch. I'm going to just use his name because what are you going to do about it? Public figure, right? <laughs> going to get canceled. Yeah, right. Um, so, but Hearst had even more power in America at the time mm-hmm. uh, because he controlled so much of what people read because he had newspapers in every major city. Sure. And I mean, we've talked about it a lot. I mean, I've I've written about Hearst so many times over the years, uh, just because he he always has a hand in all this stuff in all these different cities. It's always Hearst newspapers, always. And, um, you know, a lot of this Hollywood stuff, because he was spending so much time trying to build a career for, you know, Marion Davies, you know, and it's just, it's crazy. And I think that if anybody is to blame for all of this, it's, it's, it really is him. Um, you know, neither Fatty nor Virginia deserved what happened to them. Um, yes, we can feel much more sorry for Virginia. She died, obviously. Sure. That's much worse than just losing your career. But, you know, Fatty didn't deserve to lose his career and his entire fortune either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, two lives were one life ended, one life ruined, all because of, you know, a scandal essentially created by the newspapers. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It, this is a story that I had wanted to do because now we've got, it's a story with two ghosts. 
I mean, we don't always have that where you get the right. victim and the accuser sure. you know, or the accused person in the same, you know, end up in the same way. But both of them died leaving unfinished business behind. Both of them died tragically. You know, I mean, Fatty was right on the verge of making a comeback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd like to look at that and go, well, that's probably not true. But that actually it is. It, he really was getting ready to make a new movie with Warner Brothers. They were finally going to bring him back. And, you know, we had been, what, 13 years by that time, but he was still funny. Yeah. You know, and, you know, he'd still been working behind the camera. He was still doing good stuff. And maybe it would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't have. We'll never know, you know, because he dies of a heart attack. But you can't tell me that I'm sure that his health probably had something to do with the fact that his heart gave out early. But I think stress probably played a big part in it. And I'm sure it shortened his lifespan. We'll talk about unfinished business, man. Yeah. He's yeah. fucking right there. Yeah. So you just tore through 50% of the outline oh, that I had. Oh, well, right, sorry. No, no, yeah. this is great. Right to the ghosts. Um, but people have said that they see his spirit at the Vitaphone studio in mm-hmm. uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah. where he made that final film. And then you mentioned the other one, which would be Virginia. Um, ghosts said to haunt the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah, which we did a whole episode on that, on that cemetery. There's a lot to see there. And yeah. If you find Virginia's grave, um, it's, it's worth a visit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's, it's right by the lake and you can find it. I mean, there are maps and things that will tell you where those yeah. things are. And I'm not going to tell you that for sure you're going to go there and see a ghost. But if you do visit the cemetery, go there, do something, leave something, have a kind word for this poor girl. Because yeah. she didn't deserve what happened to her either, for sure. Oh, boy. Well, I love to end on a happy note. Uh, I'd like to give some... Yeah, this sh- doesn't really have any. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Send out some shout outs to our recent uh, Patreon sub- subscribers. Um, I just want to... Say thank you to Nicole, Kim, Elisa, and Paige O. Uh, I'm guessing I, I just read what y'all type I into know. the into right. the thing. But thank you so much for supporting the show and subscribing. It really helps us do what we do. It is now time for our Ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This email comes to us from Renee. It's titled Haunted Hollywood and Ramon Navarro. Uh, so yeah. I have no clue what you're going to say to this, Troy, but I'm just going to read it. <laughs> uh, it says, hi, in light of today's featured actor on TCM, uh, Ramon Navarro, I had to look him up as I remember once reading about how he died. I found out that he was brutally murdered in his home in L.A.'s Laurel Canyon the night before Halloween 1968. He was a famous silent screen star in Hollywood and made movies into the 1930s. He was gorgeously handsome, born in Durango, Mexico in 1899. He was a silent screen heartthrob and also gay. I was just wondering if there's any information that he is haunting some sort of the places he lived in L.A., Hollywood area. Well, the season isn't over yet. Oh, okay. So. Um, and looking up his information, I found a Lloyd Wright house, son of Frank Lloyd Wright. He had built for a secretary. Who we did take a talk about in our haunted architecture. Yes. Oh, was that on Patreon? Or did we put that? I think we put that out on the main line, too. I can't remember. That was a Patreon episode, but I think we put it out on the main line. I was talking about the haunted houses and the Bradbury building. Oh, and yeah. The, yeah, I think we talked about okay, I'll have to double Frank check. Lloyd Wright's son. But it said it's amazing, kind of creepy. The article said Diane Keaton once owned it. Uh, you need to check it out if you have already just look up the samuel navarro house okay i do remember this it was built in 1928 the sad story sure fits with your haunted hollywood segment thanks yeah. love your show and Renee. there are, there are a lot of others we can't include everybody but that is sure a, that is a good one um like lupi velez who the story was she drowned in her toilet um and no. i mean it's um she she was a drug addict and she was found over the toilet she's not drowned in her toilet <laughs> but it's okay. but it was one of those stories that went around and 
Raymond Navarro is an interesting story as well. And oh, like I Ra- said, Raymond, the, is that what it is? Oh, Ramon. Ramon. Oh, okay. uh, the season isn't over yet. Right. So, so getting ahead of everything. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I like that. Yeah. So Troy doesn't really tell me a lot of the episodes. No, so I don't. Keep, I never do. Please keep yeah. spoiling this shit for yeah. me because I, I like that. If you have other thoughts about uh, when are you going to do X, Y, Z? All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Well, maybe enjoy is a strong word. This is a this is one of those episodes that it's just... I hope you didn't enjoy man, this. Man, what do you say? What do you say to this? It's just one of those... And we've had a lot of them this season. Yep. And I warned everybody in the very beginning that we still had a lot of lives to ruin before the season would be over. And here were a couple more. So, Think about people getting ready for work. And I know. This is what this they, is what they are on their way to work. Yeah. And, and you're, oh. just as you're pulling into the parking lot at work and you hear about... And, well, there is no happy ending here. (laughs) You know, like most of these, they suck, but, you know, have a great day. Yeah. But anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Um, You know, keep the reviews coming. We appreciate them. Um, it's always fun to see them, um, even if it's just people being mad at me for some reason, yeah. I, which happens, whatever. Uh, I don't, I stop caring uh, if you're mad. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, within reason, you know, if I did something that deserved it, I could understand. You don't it, up to it. Yeah, I would. Yeah. yeah, sure, whatever. So anyway, guys, thanks so much. And uh, we will see you next time. And in light of how we did this episode, sure. um, why don't we just quit here? Yeah. Because... <sighs> If you if you read this whole thing, yeah. I'm getting out the damn Orson Welles recordings again. No, that's fine. Okay, can you actually, can you just unplug? So this episode <laughs> of the American Hunts podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck, whose equipment might do, be turned hey, off shortly. Or I might just do Orson Welles um, impersonations. Oh, God. How would that be? If you, just stop listening now. If you're not a regular listener of the podcast, you probably shouldn't be because this is what's going to happen. <laughs> well, I hope you check out our bi-weekly dose of history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Who See the knows website what evil lurks American in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. For more info about the shows, notes, photos, links, and more. We will sell more. no wine before it's time. If you're a regular listener, then you know what Troy is doing right now. <laughs> uh, if you're new to this, is your first jumping on I'm, point. I'm so oh, sorry. Boy. We'll have to take a time to review us on the Apple Podcast. Actually, yeah, don't, 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 don't. don't review us on the don't. Apple Podcast app and don't share the show with your friends, neighbors, relatives, people you pass on the street, anybody. We couldn't and wouldn't do the show without you. We probably shouldn't do the show show anyway if you're a fan uh, then you also know american hauntings not just this podcast it's books tours events and more and orson wells impersonation it's american hauntings.net slash orson wells uh for those of you who <laughs> american hauntings dash orson wells and tell us you wish we posted shows more often well you can have fresh content if you you know what i'm gonna Patreon. put up a page on the website that is american hauntings.net slash orson wells i am i love it that's yeah. not the only perk you'll get either there are discount shirts stuff in the mail all kinds of stuff so for those who don't understand how important our page Patreon is to us. Go back, listen to the first season. There were no Orson Welles impressions, but it was a very different time. And then listen yeah, to this one. It wasn't the Hollywood And just season. listen to the audio quality. That's what yeah, we're, that's we're going what we for. Mean. Not the quality of the content. It's really bad. Man. Yeah, check it out at yeah. patreon.com slash American Hauntings. If you have any questions or comments about the show, suggestions, reviews, <laughs> jokes. Stop doing Orson Welles. Yeah, just want to tell us what you really think of us. That'll be it. Via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> messages in a bottle, carrier pigeons. Telegrams. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, until next time. Yeah, see ya. Yeah, Thanks, guys. See ya later. All right, bye. Oh, boy. It's <laughs> oh, exhausting. Those are kind of fun. Yes. Yeah, that way. You know, it is kind of fun. <laughs>